Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Support independent Mi'kmaq media. Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. Or if you prefer, you can send us an email transfer at mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. One of the great unknowns about indigenous history on the island of so-called Newfoundland is whether Mi'kmaq are related to the Beothic people. There is anecdotal evidence that we are. Certainly the two groups shared the same territory at the same time, and people being people, we might expect that there would be relations, including intimate relations, between the two groups. But oral history is not considered proof in the legal and scientific order that now prevails, and the Beothic Mi'kmaq link has remained a question mark. That could soon change. Mi'obigag First Nation, in partnership with Terra Nova Genomics Incorporated, based in St. John's, will explore the possible genetic links between Beothic and Mi'kmaq, The study is made possible by a $30,000 grant from National Geographic. It is open to members of the Meobigag First Nation only. Steve Carr is the president of Terra Nova Genomics. I spoke with him about the company, the study, and the possible implications of the study results. Terra Nova Genomics was originally organized to provide uh, forensic identification of wildlife materials, and that would be, uh, for example, if someone uh, caught some birds, uh, and they and we suspected that they, or an enforcement agency suspected that they were uh, migratory birds, we could do an identification to species, and then that would result in a court case. Um, in other cases, I think there was uh, there was a murder of someone, or someone had gone missing. It was suspected that they had been murdered. Uh, the RCMP found blood spore in the area, um, and before uh, a, a very careful human examination was done, they asked us to just simply say, "Is this human or not?" And we found uh, that all the spores that we looked at were from other species. Um, we have done studies on uh, codfish, reindeer, other things, but the the intention was was to do basically wildlife identifications to species. Right. So your your project with uh, Miobigek, I guess, is a, a little different from what you ordinarily do. Very different. Very different. And tell us how that um, how that project came to be. Uh, you've got a grant from. Um, from uh, National Geographic, and you're working with me, Obigag. How did the, how did that all come together? Well, I had been working with um, the chief for a number of years. I had an honor student who's a member of uh, Miyatakuk First Nation, uh, who was interested in the question. Um, she had access to genealogy, uh, and we worked out an agreement with uh with the chief and the chief is enthusiastic about it uh basically wanting to see what kind of genetic variation there was uh at con river um it was uh it was a small project but we did find evidence of um uh first nations lineages or i should say native american lineages in the group 
Um, and the question arose, well, are those, uh, and then, but we couldn't do anything further with them that because there was very little Biophic reference material. And then in 2017, uh, a former student of mine who is now at uh, McMaster University, uh, they have an ancient DNA lab there, and they were able to extract uh, mitochondrial DNA, which is maternally inherited. Uh, they were able to extract mitochondrial DNA from a series of grave sites associated with Biophic uh, Maritime Archaic and Dorset Eskimo or Dorset Indian tribes. And that provided a framework, and now we know uh, what biophic genetic variation in the biophic looked like pre-contact. Um, and then the question that I immediately asked is, well, if any of the people that we have looked at or if any of the people that are in the various databases nowadays, uh, do we find any evidence of continuity between the biophic and, uh, and modern peoples? Because... The, the previous study had shown, well, the maritime archaic and the biophic, they're separated by about 1,500 years, uh, which is to say that the, um, uh, the, the maritime archaic came to the island, they left, nobody was here for 1,500 years, the biophic came in, and what that study showed us of the people that were known, and this is something that I keep emphasizing, is it's, it's a, small sample of people, but of the people that have been looked at, uh, all of the, 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 there was, there was no maritime archaic person who was more closely related to a biophic, uh, than he or she was to another, uh, maritime archaic and the same thing for the, for the biophic. So there was a series of, we, technically we would call them clades, calling them families is not, is not too far off. Uh, but there were a series of families of both groups, and those families were all distinct. So we had a good model of uh, saying that there are there are two previous peoples that inhabited the island. Uh, this is a model of what it looks like when there is no continuity. Now, if we compare the Biophic to the modern Mi'kmaq, where we know that there was a temporal overlap, uh, do we also find uh, a genetic continuity implying that uh, some of the Biophic, uh, Biophic and Mi'kmaq had friendly interactions that they married and therefore that those DNA lineages persist in, uh, in modern Mi'kmaq. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's basically what we're looking at. And, and the chief had been um, uh, advocating this idea. He thought that the study should have been done uh, 10 years ago, and, and, and I agree with him. Um, and we put together a strategy. Uh, I approached National Geographic with a, with a scientific proposal, uh, all of it approved by the chief and council enthusiastically. And National Geographic was very, very interested because um, even, even in the small form that we have it here, it will be the largest focused study of a First Nation or Indigenous group in in at least Canada and I think uh, in the United States. So there are, there are other studies that have been done of particular groups, but this is the largest one that National Geographic has been involved in, and that allows uh, uh, will allow us to put um, the Mi'kmaq First Nation, the Miyapakut First Nation, into the global picture of the human story 
um, on a par with the English or the Irish or the Scandinavians or uh, particular groups like this. Mm. Now, we we stress that this uh, study is for the members of the Mjabegeg, uh First Nation only. I know that you've had a lot of inquiries and a lot of interest, but uh, uh, for for our listeners, uh, we uh, we stress the, uh, the the limitations of of that study. And um, tell us how the work will unfold. You're you're collecting a saliva sample from um, participants in the study, and uh, I understand there's uh, there's quite a lot of spit required because I think it may take <laughs> as long as five minutes to produce the, as When we had word that the study was um, funded, I immediately asked, uh, could you send uh, two kits down, one for me and one for the chief? Um, and uh, uh, that was a lot of spitting, actually. It takes longer. It takes longer to spit. It, it takes longer to work up that much spit than you would think. Uh, you also have to not have eaten um, lunch lately, at least not with any kind of uh, a cow or something that might show up. But it is uh, the, the 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 method is exactly the same as what you would do is if you bought a uh, a test kit from National Geographic that uh, the person spits into the tube. Um, you add a preservative that's included. Um, and you shake that all up and you put it into an envelope that's provided and then you send it off to the company and they give you, um, they give you, uh, basic characterizations of your, uh, of your assignments to various group. Now what is different in this case is that, um, we will get not only, uh, the, the results that you would get, if you were a private person uh, applying the test, but we will get the complete um, DNA uh, workup that's done by National Geographic. We will be using a much more sophisticated um, uh, method of describing genetic variation within within the group, and in particular, we're going to be getting the complete mitochondrial DNA sequence and uh, the complete mitochondrial DNA sequence is what is needed at this point to make identifications with the complete mitochondrial DNA sequences that we know from, from the biophic. Um, and all of this at, at bargain basement prices, we're, we're, we're getting it at basically cost. We're getting it at basic cost of the, uh, the kits. Now, uh, you say in your material the ideal candidate is a registered member of, of Neobigag who can trace their mother's side ancestry through the um, Mi'kmaq community before the First Nation was established. I guess you're stressing the mother's side because uh, the, it's a, you're looking at the mitochondrial DNA, which is the mother's side uh, DNA, hence the uh, focus. That's right. The, the, the mitochondrial DNA is um, is uh, in the it's of high concentration in the mother's egg, so that uh, any woman, all of her children, will inherit the, her mitochondrial DNA sequence, but only her daughters will pass it on to their daughters. So we can we can genotype uh, uh, men and women, but what we are looking for is these um, maternal lineages. Um, now, and having said that, uh, it's um, 
this is something that sort of came as a surprise to me and it shouldn't have and it's one of the things I like about doing this project is uh, it causes me to think about humans uh, and we always do think about humans differently than we do uh, other sorts of species um, we have there there are five lineages of mitochondrial DNA that are characteristic of uh, of Native Americans of indigenous people and these are just given the names A, B, C, D, and X. Um, so the thinking used to be, well, if you have First Nations ancestry, then you're going to be A, B, C, D, or X. Uh, and that if we find somebody that's, that's not that, um, well, that person doesn't have First Nations ancestry. And then on a moment's reflection, and it took me longer than it should have, uh, we know that there have been intermarriages between the, the Mi'kmaq and uh, European settlers and uh, and people on the island uh, post uh, post settlement uh, that the Mi'kmaq were Catholic from very early on, um, and that if those marriages introduced European quote unquote mitochondrial DNA types into the Mi'kmaq nation, uh, those genotypes are just as much Mi'kmaq as are any of the others. Um, the difference then becomes that since the biotic are all the biotic sequences that we know about for comparison are all pre-contact, there won't be any European mitochondrial DNA types in the biotic, or at least we haven't found them. Um, and so the the biotic DNA that we are expecting to persist into the Mi'kmaq First Nation, in order to know that it's biotic, it has to be one of the uh, one of the four types that's known in the biotic, and, and it's AC DNX. We don't, we haven't found any, or nobody's found any any B types. So where we have a limited amount of resources at the moment, uh, we will be using the the genealogy that's been assembled by the elders and it's a very detailed uh, genealogy, will focus initially on uh, those genealogies that suggest uh, that, the, that the mother has been a member of the community. And as, as you say before, there was a First Nation, which is a, which is a legal distinction. Um, we'd like to trace those as far back as possible. And, and again, recognizing that uh, yes, there could be there could be European lineages, and it's not that those are not interesting. But we're trying to match up um, native lineages, native Native American lineages with uh, that we know about in modern people, with lineages that we know about in uh, extinct people. Now, the Biotic uh, comparator. Are you relying on the same material used in the McMaster study, or will you? Um, of course, we have the remains of uh, Nanasabasa and Damasduit uh, uh, on the on Turtle Island at some point. Uh, will you have to get new material, or do you... we will not have to get new material. The lab at McMaster is uh, is working on that. Uh, they have done the complete mitochondrial DNA sequences. We don't have to collect any new material. We, we that the material that has been obtained already is uh, is adequate for. This first phase of the of the comparisons. 
Now, if you so, is it possible uh, that you'll uh, be able to find a definite uh, connection between Biotic and Mi'kmaq DNA, or or will all the possible outcomes be more nuanced? Will it be probability, or will is it possible? Of course, we don't know the results yet, but is it possible that the results will be able to show that definite connection? Um, in my opinion, yes, it is. Uh, I I know I know what the I know what the positive result would look like, and it makes a difference. It makes a difference whether you find one individual that um, that matches, uh, or whether you find two people that match a biotic sequence, or three people that match a biotic sequence. It makes a difference whether we know that there are five different families uh, or, or groups of biotic sequences. Um, if, if all of those, if we find DNA from all of those groups, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, on the other hand, we know that Nonasaba said and Demazdui uh, were, were members of two of the families. Um, my, my guess would be right now that, uh, the, 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 the last surviving members of the Beothic peoples were probably in those two families. And so that would be those, an identification of a modern person with, uh, one of the Beothic sequences that we know about in those two families would be probable evidence to believe that there is a connection. The difficulty is that two people, if you look at somebody that lived a thousand years ago and you look at somebody that lived now and you compared them and you found that they were identical, well, it could be an indication that the modern person is descended from an ancient person, but that's probably not the case because it it essentially doesn't work that way. Uh, the the instant example of Damasdui and Nanasabaset did not have any children that survived, so nobody can be a descendant uh, of either of them. But Damasdui and Nanasabaset had had aunts. Uh, they had mothers. They had grandmothers. They had great great grandmothers. And a modern person could be a descendant of one of those persons. Finally, let's and I guess in relation to that point, let's. Uh, talk about the implications of the results. Uh, in a way, there's, there's, I guess there are legal implications because, um, uh, in terms of any, um, you know, Aboriginal rights claims, if there were a connection between the Beothic and uh, present-day Mi'kmaq people, I think that would mean something legally. Uh, but of course, uh, I guess there is a bit of a downside risk because if the study is inconclusive or negative. Uh, there might be a letdown um, in terms of, um, you know, the expectations uh, that people have and the and the, the sort of stock we've put into finding a connection with uh, the. Yes, I, I think the the um, the principal uh, the, the principal one that's easy to to focus on is that of course uh, Demazdui the remains of Demazdui and Nonasada set were stolen uh, to use the blunt word. Um, and uh, that now reside in a museum in Edinburgh, and uh, the museum at Edinburgh has, depending on which accounts that I read, has agreed to repatriate those remains uh, to Canada at least, 
Um, and one of the things that they ask is, well, we would like to have we would like to have a demonstration that the Mi'kmaq are the lineal descendants of the Beothic. Now we know that that isn't true because the Mi'kmaq are they're they're both uh, members of the Algonquian group. Uh, we don't think that the Mi'kmaq derived directly from Beothic. Nobody nobody thinks that. Um, and as, as I've said, the probability that Damasdui or Nonasabaset have descendants, it, that probability is non-existent. Um, this is, uh, when we, when we look at legal matters, the, the, the law covering such claims in the U.S. is, in my opinion, as a biologist, badly written because it says that in order to repatriate, um, uh, grave remains to a particular tribe, you have to show that that individual is a descendant or that that individual is the ancestor of a living person in the uh, in the current community. And the chances that you could do that are, are non-existent. You can show that somebody is a cousin, uh, but the idea that somebody is a great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchild um, that's extremely unlikely. Canada does not have any regulations like that. The museum has um, uh, used that, uh, and I think it's a stalling tactic, um, frankly. It's a stalling tactic to say, well, you know, we, we need more evidence. Um, if we demonstrate that uh, persons related to uh, the persons with the same DNA sequence as Nanasabaset or Damasdui exist in the Mi'kmaq community, that is evidence of shared ancestry, as we've said, and then it establishes um, it establishes a genetic continuity, but it doesn't establish an ancestor-descendant relationship in 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 the way that that you you are a direct descendant of your grandmother, um, but you have a bunch of cousins that you would have to trace the ancestor further back. Um, and one of the other cases that's similar is in Iceland. There are a number of families that have a DNA sequence, mitochondrial DNA sequence, that is clearly uh, Native American. And but it is, and it is clearly Native American, but it is just as clearly not identical to any sequence that's ever been seen in a living uh in a living native north american the temptation that that you want to make is that well these persons must have been brought over by or they must have been brought back to iceland by leif erikson um the vinland sagas are that's oral history as much as anything else were there other visitations uh, i see that there's evidence of a second uh Viking uh, settlement, uh, I think again on the north, the northern peninsula. Uh, but the possibility that Native Americans were brought back, uh, Native American women were brought back to Iceland and had children and they had daughters and the daughters had daughters and the daughters had daughters over the space of, uh, 2000 years or a thousand years. Um, that's possible, but where the sequences are not identical, um, you can't prove it, and if those sequences are uh, are unique, 
one of the standard ways in which that could happen is, well, whoever was on the northern peninsula, uh, those lineages died out. Um, so it's not that that there there are there are closely related biotic, but they're not identical. Um, and so you can't say that those individuals, those families in Iceland, are descendants of the biotic because they don't match any biotic that we know about. You can make a probabilistic case, um, but but you know the, I wouldn't I wouldn't take that as direct evidence of um, uh, of biotic ancestry. And the problem in this business is you can you can look at a hundred people and not find any evidence, and then you look at the next person, and then you've got somebody who is uh, plainly within the biotic lineages. Steve Carr, president of Terra Nova Genomics Incorporated. Steve Carr mentioned the earlier study carried out by researchers at McMaster University. You can hear more about that study in episode 36 of Mi'kmaq Matters, available at soundcloud.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. That's it for the program. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Thanks to our radio partners, Bay of Islands Radio, Voice of Bombay, CHMR, and Mi'obigag First Nation Radio. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.